John chapter 16. John 16. We have in John 14, verse 26, we started with the giving of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in great detail. As Jesus finishes the final day on earth, this is the night before He is crucified. And He has an intimate time of... uh, of a few hours with his disciples, and we have some of the most intimate scripture in all of scripture as we see the discourse between Jesus and his disciples in this upper room, and he's told them many things, and one of the things he's told them is he's fixing to go away, and he says, I know you're going to be sad, I know you're going to be discouraged, I know you're going to be troubled, but what's going to happen is when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit is God. We've talked about he's the paraclete, he's the helper, he's the comforter. We've talked about the Holy Spirit in great detail, and Jesus introduced the coming of the Spirit uh, in context that he's going to be a comforter to the disciples, and he's going to be able to support them when he leaves, when he's, when he's resurrected, and when he ascends into heaven. And so we've seen many things about it right here in, the, in this chapter 16, 1 through 15. We're going to see Jesus gives us some more understanding about the work of the Spirit. We've seen that He's coming. We've seen some of the reasons why He's coming. But now we're going to see in more intimate detail uh, the Holy Spirit's work. And what He's going to do is He's going to divide this up. In, uh, in your notes, you have point A, B, uh, A, B, C. Uh, that is going to be the Holy Spirit's work to believers. And so if you want to put in your notes, A, B, C, a little line that work to the believer, it's going to be specific, the work to the, to the, uh, to the believers. And then D, E, and F is going to be the Holy Spirit's work in the world and what the Holy Spirit does, how He convicts, how He, uh, 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 explains righteousness and the need for righteousness, and he's going to talk about the judgment of the world. And then in uh, F, G, and H, again, I mean in G and H, we're going to see him go back to the work uh, of the Holy Spirit to the believer. So let's look at this, and uh, this is not an exhaustive list. I'll go back to, to maybe some, some issues in 14, and we'll go to Romans 8 also to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God of very gods, equal with God, unified with God, but has a different subsistence within the Godhead and has a specific function. And the particular function, the most critical function of the Holy Spirit is is what? Indwell believers and to give glory to Christ. And His role is to always point people to Christ. And when you're in a situation, I've said this many times, you know something's wrong when the Holy Spirit is emphasized more than Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is never going to have the preeminence within the Godhead. Jesus is the name given above all names. And God the Father has exalted His Son because of His obedience And the Holy Spirit will never take preeminence over Christ. And the works of the Holy Spirit and the charisma of the Holy Spirit and the miracles and the speaking in tongues and all these things that that men get caught up in, the Holy Spirit would never take preeminence. But His role is to always give preeminence and point to the Savior of men, Jesus Christ. So uh, keep that in mind. And when you ever circles around people and they start emphasizing the Spirit... Question that and always uh, have them to explain to you the reason the Holy Spirit came is to glorify Christ. So we'll see that Holy Spirit work. Uh, Since I am struggling here, would somebody read? uh, Actually, I want to start 1526. And uh, 
If if uh, Melanie, you'll do fifteen twenty six through sixteen one through four, and then Austin, if you'll go five through ten, and then uh, Diane, if you'll do twelve through fifteen, we'll read this and save my voice. But we'll go the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see, Jesus is reiterating to the disciples, knowing what they're about to go through, knowing He's going to be ascended into the heavens, knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to come, knowing that immediately there's going to be persecution. There's going to be wars amongst uh, jewelry and wars among new Christians, and there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be martyrdom, and these all of these disciples are going to be killed except for John the Baptist, and, I mean, John the, the Apostle, and he's going to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos and live to be a, an old man, and he's going to write the Revelation some 50, 60 years after Jesus uh, ascends into heaven. So besides all the other disciples are martyred, so he understands what they're about to go through. He understands their fears, their anxieties. And so he points to this fact. The first role that he starts out in this is that the Holy Spirit keeps us from stumbling. He had just finished this dissertation in chapter 15, uh, verse 18. The world hates you, and the reason it hates you is because why? Why does the world hate Jesus? We talked about this last week, and there were three different... There were more than three, but we talked about many of the things why the world hates Jesus. And the number one reason why the world hates Jesus is why? Because Jesus tells people that they're sinners and they need a Savior and they're not right with God. And so we saw that in John 7, 7. The world hates me. The world would not have hated me unless I had told them that they had sin. And we talked about the different reasons why Jesus was hated. He told them, and this is very bold in front of these Jews around thousands of people. He stands up. With boldness, he said, you're of your father, the devil. He's a liar from the beginning, and you're just like him. You don't believe because you can't come to me unless I draw you. And on and on, we talked about this last week. So the world hates Jesus. And because the world hates Jesus, it's going to hate us. Because we are supposed to be imitators of him. We are supposed to be conforming to his image and we are to be his representatives and we are his ambassadors. So the world equates hating Jesus should hate with equate with hating us because we represent him. If the world doesn't hate you, if you've never been persecuted, if you've never been ridiculed, if you've never been made fun of, if you've never been ostracized, My question is you, why not? You are supposed to be a threat to people. You are supposed to stir up division between. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring division. Not that we're not supposed to be difficult people. We're not to be like, oh, if you just understood that gene. We're not supposed to be difficult people. We're to get along with all men as best we can, Scripture say. But if it comes down to it, we are defend the gospel, we're the proclaimers of the gospel, and we have our sons and our daughters-in-law think poorly of us because we have the audacity to speak the truth. And if you've never done that, my, my counsel to you was would be start doing it. That is your job. That is your duty. We are going to be hated 
because we speak the truth in love to those who are our adversaries, to those who aren't lo- who are lost and who need Christ, and we have the answer. We have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. So naturally, they should hate us. And Jesus warned his disciples, they're going to hate you. And they did, and they killed the disciples. And I dare say, none of us have, 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 have been near that kind of suffering, but wait, it's coming. So keep us, this word stumbling we said was set a trap for. We said the world is going to set a trap for you. In Psalms and other places in scriptures, we see these processes that the world has and they want to set a trap for us. Uh, in my reading this morning, as I was reading through a couple of chapters in the Psalms, uh, reminded me this is the motive operandi of the world. And this is what they want to do. And this is what uh, uh, David experienced. And if you look at 140 Psalm, and this is just something that uh, I wasn't going to do if you want to jot this in your notes. This is going to be what the world is going to do to you if you are a proclaimer of Christ and a liver of life uh, in obedience to the Lord. And, and this is what David found out. This is what Scripture uh, consistently points to God's people uh, as example, of course, in Christ. But this is what we should expect. And this is over and over, myriad of times throughout the Psalms. But look at uh, uh, Psalm 140, David. Deliver me from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their evil hearts. And they gather together in unity for war. They sharpen their tongues. The poison of asp is under the lips. Keep me, preserve me. Verse 4, they have purposed to make my steps stumble. They have set a trap for me. So David understood that being one of his followers, being the leader of nation of Israel, being a representative of God, he is going to be attacked. And so he tells his disciples, the world wants you to stumble. The world laughs at your stumbling, and the world says, aha, they're all a bunch of hypocrites, they're all a joke, it's all a farce, their crutch is Jesus Christ, and you know what they say about us. Jesus said, The Holy Spirit is going to keep you from stumbling. Do you need uh, notes, guys? Would you pass these to uh, Warren's back there? So we see we're in John 16, 1 through 15. So the Holy Spirit is going to keep us from stumbling. He's going to keep us from setting a trap, being a trap for. How does the world do that? Any experience? Anybody want to testify to how the world system, how your employers, how... Your friends have tried to set a trap for you. Anybody have a any a specific? You're a hater. Ah. Oh, that's favorite one. That sounds pretty fresh wounded. You told me about that one. That's good, Val. Anybody else? Your haters, whatever we are. 
The Holy Spirit keeps us from stumbling. The world wants to set a trap for him, us. Christ was... Devil always tries to thwart God's purposes. He's been doing it since Genesis 2, and he is continuing until he is finally doomed, and his doom is sure, and it already is, but it happened at the cross. But he's always going to have his minions trying to stumble and set a trap for you, and he does it through various means. He does it through our minds. And he and he and he, he he does it through doubts, and he does it through fears, and he does it through anxieties, and he and he and he does it through despairs, and he, he causes our he puts this seed of doubt in our heads. That, and and the men in, that are in my group, we've talked about this ad nauseum. How can I be a Christian if I have these thoughts? And so that there's always a war within our members, and and Satan is accusing us, but the Holy Spirit. One of the works of the Spirit is to keep us from stumbling. And so the Holy Spirit would, would cause us to go back to God's Word and remember who we are in Christ. Remember what Keith said today? Very helpful in keeping us from stumbling. Remember who we are, why Christ came, what He's done, what He's going to do, and the work and the process He's going to finish in each one of us. That keeps you from despair. That keeps you from discouragement. That keeps you from thinking the stinking that, how can I be a believer? How can I have these struggles? Because that's what devil wants you to do. He wants you to stumble. He wanted the disciples to stumble, and they did many times. Yes, sir. Probably six hours. Yes. And we talked about that. Peter, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you have repented, I'm going to work this because of this, this example. I'm going to use it to bring repentance to many people. And we saw that and we discussed that in great detail. Yes, keep us from stumbling. He knew. He knows our weaknesses. And so does the devil. He's not omniscient, obviously, but he knows our weaknesses because he's trapped us in the past and he understands how to get us, right? So the Holy Spirit, one of the works of the Spirit is to keep us from stumbling. Uh, and we see that uh, because they hate Christ. And then what he did predict, he said, look what he said in verse 1. They're going to, this is how, the, how Satan does it. He puts you out of the synagogues. Now, how does that affect your mind? Okay, you're Jews, you're disciples of Jesus, and the first thing devil's going to do and try to thwart you, he's going to kick you out of the synagogues. What does that do to you and your need as a person and all that stuff? How does that affect your thinking? Kicked out of the synagogues. Lost, not connected, not community. We all want to be loved, we want to be liked, and all this, this, and this, and that. So first thing, we're going to kick you out of your identity. Absolutely. That's right. Have I really done the right thing, taking up the cross and dying daily? This cost of discipleship, wow, this is applicable to me and... First thing, I get excommunicated from my Jewish roots, my identity, who I am as a man, everything I've learned and thought about Judaism. First rattle out of the box, Satan is going to kick me out of the synagogue. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think it happens to us all the time when we're 
That's a badge of honor. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely it does. And if it doesn't, that's a problem, isn't it? right that's why nobody says anything because we all want to get along and we don't want to be ostracized and it's embarrassing and all that stuff and it's happening today and that's one of his plans today or we don't want to say anything about politics or we don't want to say anything about that or we don't want to say anything about that because deep down in the back of our minds and our heads we're thinking boy this being in favor with men is very important to me right it is and Satan knows that. That's part of our wired structure. So the first thing he does, he takes away their foundation. He says, I'm going to kick you out of the synagogue. Now what do you think? Who are you trusting in? Isn't that amazing? First thing he does, he's going to kick you out of synagogues. And then he's going to say this. He's going to say, people are going to think they're doing God a service by killing you. And who is the greatest example of that? Saul who is later called Paul. And we see Paul's history in this, and let's look at this. And and one uh, uh, chapter you may not have looked at, but we understand Stephen is the first martyr. He's preaching the gospel. He is stoned because he has the audacity to say, you are the killers of Christ, the Jews, the Jews, and what you've done. And, And so we look at... Uh, and we see, uh, look at Saul as he first comes on the scene, uh, Acts 8.1. Saul was consenting to his death, and there arose great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. So God uses this persecution, and He uses this, this running and disbursement, and so the gospel is spread to Jerusalem and to Judea and to the other parts of the earth. This is all part of the plan of God, this persecution. And he says, they're all scattered except the apostles, because God has a specific foundational role for him in Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and great made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So this is exactly what Jesus said. Men are going to kill you thinking they're doing God a service. And so we understand, Paul gives us understanding into what he was thinking, and he gives us understanding into his zealousy. Uh, Let's look at this. Uh, Let's look at uh, Acts 26. He's before King Agrippa. He's given defense for his uh, the gospel that he shares. He's he's being going to be sent to Rome, and he's even going to give his testimony before Caesar. Acts 26. uh, Paul is speaking. He and says in verse four, uh, Acts 26, verse four. My manner of life from my youth was spent from the beginning among my nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews knew. They knew me from the first. If you're willing to testify, they would say, according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers to this promise. Our twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain for this hope's sake, King Agrippa. 
I'm accused by the Jews. Look at verse 9. <coughs> I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The Jews believe there's one God. And this guy claims to be God. So if I'm a holy, righteous Jew, I'm going to stamp out any blasphemer. And I am required by law to stone blasphemers. So Paul is zealous for the law. He did it in ignorance because he hadn't come to Christ, hadn't saved him yet, and, and shown him that he's God. But look what Paul did. I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. I did this at Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison. I received authority from the chief priests when they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. I am specifically responsible for their death because I said, kill them. And I punished them in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even the foreign cities. So Jesus says there are going to be people who think they're doing you a, me a service for killing you. Literally fulfilled by Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? So he says that. And then the last thing he says is, is uh, <coughs> they're going to kill you. And we've talked about that. All of the disciples are martyred except for John, the apostle, the writer of this book. So we see they're going to be made to stumble. First work of the Spirit. The second work that I want to look at, <coughs> excuse me, is that the Holy Spirit helps us bear witness of Christ. And we see that in the end of chapter 15. We see that in verse 25. No, we see this in 1527. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This Holy Spirit who's going to come at Pentecost... He is going to come, and He is going to give. What does the Holy Spirit give? And, and apostles pray for this. Peter prays for this. One of the things they pray for is boldness. And they pray for that the Holy Spirit would open up opportunities, doors. And, they, and, and Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send, will send us into the fields. So the Holy Spirit is going to send harvesters. Harvesters, and he is going to give uh, opportunities for us. So the Holy Spirit bears witness, and he bears witness to Christ. And remember, Jesus said, "When they, when you are when you are persecuted, don't rehearse what you're going to say. But the Holy Spirit is going to what give you what to say at that time. And what the Holy Spirit does, he brings to remembrance." The Word of God and what Christ said. You ever been in a situation where inexplicably you say or you quote a Bible verse and you go, hmm, where'd that come from? It happens to me every time I'm up here. It just, it just happens. Huh? Or when you pray. Or when you pray. And it's an amazing thing. But the Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ. Always points to Christ. Gives us boldness, opportunity. And we have the ability that is supernatural, and He gives us that ability. And if you haven't experienced that, it's a great, great fruit that He bears within us. He helps us bear witness of Christ. What else can explain? Remember when 
Peter and John are talking to the assembly and to the leaders, and they said they perceived that they were unlearned men and they were ignorant fishermen. And what did they do? They marveled that they had been with the Lord. The only explanation for you should be the Holy Spirit, right? That's not very natural. Of you. That's right. It's not. It is, a, it is a work of God within me, right? He bears witness of Christ. That is the work of the Spirit that He does. And we see that, 1527, we read that one. We see that in John. Now, I wanted you to take a guess at this. what this means. John 20, we're going to get here. We're going to explain it in great detail. Hopefully you're not confused by this. But the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness of Christ. Look what Jesus did. John 20, this is after He's arisen. He appears to the, to the disciples after His resurrection. Jesus says to them, Peace to you as a Father sent me, I send you. And when He had said thus, He breathed on them and said to him, them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then He gave them their, 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 their marching orders uh, to share the truth, to make disciples of men. We see that in Matthew. Uh, if you look at uh, Luke 24, uh, go back to Luke 24, another specific that the Holy Spirit helps us bear witness. 2449. Behold, Luke 2449, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So this Holy Spirit uh, endues with power. And one of the wonderful things about the Greek language, it's so specific, and that and the word is excusia, and the word is dunamis, which we get our word dynamite. And this is the, this is the, uh, which one's the authority? Authority, so all authority is given to me in heaven, so but he gives us authority, we're his ambassadors, he sends us out, we're his ministers of reconciliation. We have the authority of God Almighty to preach the truth of Christ. And then He gives us the dynamite, the power, and any effect it may have on men's heart is because of the dynamite. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Like Paul says, I'm not, I'm not big on speeches and I'm contemptible in my speech because it is obvious that it's God's power and it's not me doing it. And if any of you have ever stumbled through the gospel and have had, have had, have borne fruit because of that obedience, you look back and say, how did anybody come to believe the Lord because of what I just mumbled through? And all you counselors know that, right? Wow, I should have said that, I could have said that, I wish I wouldn't have said that, and how could they have, how could the Lord have converted them or changed them or brought them because of me? That's the way He does it. Imperfect vessels. The will and the ability, right? He's, the, he's, the, he's begun the work. He's going to finish the work. That's what the Spirit does. So He helps us bear witness of Christ. And He is the authority and He's the power behind it. And we got to go with great confidence because we have a mission and it is a duty and it is a privilege and it is obligation and it is an imperative command. 
And uh, bless you. Helps us bear witness of Christ. We see that. Uh, uh, what does it mean when Jesus said he breathed on him and received the Holy Spirit? Getting back to that one, just sort of a previewer here. I thought the Holy Spirit didn't come till Pentecost. What does this mean? Any any comments on this one? It's a promise. Receive the Holy Spirit. So Brian's saying it's a promise. Yes and yes. I think uh, the best explanation, it is foreshadow. It is preview of what's about to happen. The Holy Spirit's always existed. He's always worked in the hearts of men. And if you're a believer in the Old Testament, you're a believer because of the Holy Spirit. He's giving you faith. Same way throughout. But we'll get into that in great detail. And uh, But uh, when He breathes on them, that's a foreshadow. Uh, that is a promise. And uh, and uh, he says, receive the Spirit, and that's going to happen 50 days later. And then you see this work accomplish, receive, and, and uh, renouncing the sins and, and, and bringing men to repentance. So we see that, the bare witness of Christ. Any comments about that one? Uh, uh, this is one I think is very important. Uh, and it's sort of hidden here, and I, and I added it. And we're seeing that this is the work to believers and, uh, and the Holy Spirit keeps us from being sorrowful. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have periods in our life when we're, we are pity partying ourselves and we're feeling sorry for ourselves and woe, woe is me and I'm the only one that's gone through this and why would you put this burden on me? I can't endure it. That's not what this means. In this context, the disciples are going to be tangibly in great fear and anxiety. Separation. They've been with Christ for every day for three and a half years. And so Jesus is speaking to them, and we see this in verse 6. Because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. There is a, they have limited information. They have a, a finite mind to comprehend what God is telling them. Remember? And so they're going to go all different ways and they're going to think all different kind of thoughts. And all of these thoughts are going to be human-based thoughts without information and it's going to create great despair in their lives. And uh, so Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to keep us from being sorrowful. And the way He does that in our lives is He produces joy that's internal in our souls. Because all of us have this proclivity, don't we, if you'll admit it? Some of us more than others. Some of us are personality trait naturally drawn to despondency uh, and all these kind of emotions within us. The Holy Spirit, what He does is He... he he fights our natural proclivities and our tendencies and He changes us. And He creates this bubbling, unexplicable, internal joy in our souls. And that internal joy is not dependent upon the externals, right? So if our parents 
have dementia, and if our nurse's daughter, uh, sister dies in a motorcycle accident, our natural tendency is to go into great despair and sorrow, which is a right reaction. But the Spirit, He works in us, and He points us to Christ and hope, and then He gives us opportunity to minister in comfort, because He Himself comforts us, right? This is... This is rubber meets the road. This is 2 Corinthians 1 with, with the comfort He comforts us with. And because He comforts us, we are able to comfort others. And so this is how the Holy Spirit works in us. This inexplicable joy. So we can minister to people who've lost parents. We can minister to people who have lost children. And we empathize with them because this is the work of the Spirit, right? Does everybody understand that? Uh we can have a hope, and we, t- and this is internal work that's produced by Him. We have a hope that we'll, and the hope is that we have a future. Remember the song today that Keith talked about? We know what our end is, and that we are going to be perfectly transformed, and we're going to be like Christ one day in the glorified state with no sin. And as we progress in progressive sanctification, the Spirit's working in us, but we have this carried, if you will, this great blessed hope that one day it's going to be finished and the work is complete. And these are all ways in which the Spirit keeps us from sorrow, helps us to minister to people that are in sorrow. Verses for this. bunch of verses. We know these verses, but these verses, as the Spirit energizes these verses within us, creates hope. That hope produces purity of heart and mind and thinking. Just to give you a few of these. First Thessalonians, we're familiar with this one. We're familiar with the whole text, but the end of the text, I uh, just want to emphasize First Thessalonians 4.17. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We know that this is talking about the, the rapture of the church, the catching up of the church. We'll always be with the Lord. There's that hope. Comfort one another with these words. How does the Holy Spirit keep us from being sorrowful? He brings us to mind the words of the Scripture. He enlivens those words in our minds, and then we pass them along to others and encourage them. Remember we talked about this last week, and Sally brought up this point. We talked about uh, the Scriptures called we're servants. We're all do-losses. We're all slaves. And we talked about this transformation. Uh, we are still slaves. We are still servants. But then He calls us friends. And we talked about that last week, this intimacy. He reveals Himself to us through the Word. That's one of the works of the Spirit. And we become His friends. We have in a relationship with Him. And then we talked about this. We are also sons of God. We are adopted. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. And this is our position now. It says, uh, Sally asked this question, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't sharp enough. I thought about it, but I didn't say it. We, we say 1 John 3, 2 says, now are we the sons of God. 
But then it says, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So we see we are all now, we are servants, we are friends, and we are sons of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. This is our position now, but practically it is still to be realized, right? I have a dad, obviously, and I am going to get a few dollars from him when he passes. I am an heir, but I have not realized that yet, and I will not realize that until he dies, right? And so we are heirs now, we're joint heirs, we're going to obtain this, and that is our position, but practically we have not yet attained the rewards of heirs and sons, and we don't realize it perhaps, and we talked about this in good detail, but this is where we are in that verse I just read, and we see that in Romans. Let's look at Romans 8. As we looked at this uh, this concept, he keeps us from being soft because we have this hope. Look at Romans 8. You know what this is. I'm not going to reiterate it. I just want to see this future hope. Look at, uh, I'm just going to go straight to 14, 8, 14. This is how the Spirit works to keep us from being sorrowful. Many as are led by God's Spirit. They are sons of God. We talked about this. We didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Daddy, Father. Intimacy between a friend, although we are still servants, we're His heirs. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're God's children. We're children, we're heirs, we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. You know, when we're adopted, all of our attachments to the old family are gone. We're no longer alien. We're no longer sons of the devil, children of wrath. But all of our debts, obligations, our past associations wiped out. We're adopted and we're placed into a new family. We have a new nature. We have a new name. We have new desires. All part of this adoption process That is what God uses in my life to keep me from my natural tendencies to whatever I think, right? That's how he does it. Yes, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. That would be Jeremiah, that would be Jeremiah 23, that would be Jeremiah, help me, 29, 12, 29, 11. This is Rachel's favorite verse, one of her favorite verses. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, and you can read that. So we see this is a... Work of the Spirit keeps us from being sorrowful because it points toward the future hope, right? God, those that are in What the Holy Spirit does is like you, what he's, he renews our minds. Blah, blah, blah. 
always brings us to remembrance the word and the scripture and Jesus. And that's how he works in us. That's how he progresses us. I'm not doing very good. Now we see these are the work to believers. Now we're going to go to this. And I said D, E, and F is going to be the Holy Spirit's work to the world. And I'm talking about the lost in the world. The world system, the lost in the world. So D, E, and F are going to be the works of the Spirit. And there's no accident that He hits the believers first. And then He deals with the world. And then He's going to finish with the believers again. So in this work of the Spirit to the world, there are three things. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does to the world, verse 8. And when He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will do these three things. He is going to convict the world of sin. And He is going to convict the world of righteousness, and He is going to convict the world of judgment. These are the three works of the Spirit toward the world, and the purpose of the conviction is, as we talked about, is to bring people to the realization of who Christ is, and the necessity to place trust in Him and Him alone. So we see this, it says, it says the Spirit, the work of the Spirit And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. The word convict has many uh, meanings, but the primary context of this meaning is the word He's going to convince. He convinces the world, the lost in the world. The primary meaning of convict in this context is to convince the world of its guilt and its need. Remember Spurgeon always says, uh, you can't be made whole until you know you are sick. And so the Holy Spirit, one of His works to the lost is to convince the world that they have guilt before the Lord and to convict the world that they have a need of a Savior and to convict the world that there is sin in their life. And so the Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit doesn't judge. It is the work of the Father and the Son. But the Spirit convinces men concerning their sin of unbelief in Christ. The sin... In this verse, the world of sin, I like what one of my commentators said, the sin in this verse is singular and specific, and it is the sin of not believing in Jesus. So this Holy, the Holy Spirit convinces men that it is sinful not to believe in the remedy made available to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is the work of the Spirit. And He uses counselors. He uses preaching. He always uses His Word. And He energizes the Word with His Spirit. And that Spirit starts to produce trust and faith in the hearts of men. And so the Spirit convicts, convinces the world of sin because the world in their natural state is dead, they're dead to their need, they're dead to whom they are, away from Christ, and they are naturally doing the things they want to do, and there has to be someone that brings that convincing to them. And all of us were at one time here, and the Holy Spirit brought that convention, convincing to our minds, and then we ultimately began 
he began this process of producing faith. And I like what this says. Ultimately, men are damned because they do not believe the Lord Jesus Christ is Savior. And we could break that down and have time, but the Lord is his, that He's God, Jesus Christ, that He's man. And so man, the Holy Spirit convicts that there is, He's God and that He's man, and the Holy Spirit convicts men of why He came and how He could come and, 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 and uh, and uh, impute righteousness to us, which is the next topic. So the Holy Spirit convinces the world of sin, and the Holy Spirit convinces righteousness. That is very simple. That's the righteousness that we must find in Christ alone. I like what this guy said. He said, the Holy Spirit shatters the pretensions of self-righteousness and exposes the darkness of the heart. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit shattered your pretension of self-hypocrisy and showed you your dark heart? And He does it to me very, very, very regularly. He continues that function within us. That, you know, when we think, how in the world, as I've said this before, I have asked Him, to show me the darkness of my heart, and boy, I didn't have any understanding of what I was asking. Because when He does that, you go to this pretty quick. So I would, uh, but that's what He does. And He convicts the world that they need a Savior. He convicts the world that their righteousness, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness is filthy rags. The Holy Spirit has to convince your mind that you cannot earn salvation. You cannot do enough to achieve salvation. You can't do enough works. You are not, you cannot be made right before a holy God by your efforts. And the Holy Spirit has to work that in you. And He still does it within all of us because our tendency is, what? Compare ourselves with other people. I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm pretty active in the church. Surely the Lord's going to approve and nod approvingly at me because I do more than Joe Blow down the street, right? That's what he does in your head. You know why I know that? Because I've experienced that. And every one of you have, haven't you? Poor Valerie, don't worry about it, darling. (laughs) She's back there working, working, working. Does everybody understand what he does and how he does it? And He shows us that we need an alien righteousness. We need some other righteousness other than our own, right? And so He causes us to call upon the righteous one who has clothed us in His righteousness. And that's what the Spirit does. Don, yes? That's a good question. And yes, that that is one of the functions of it. It does. And you want to explain it? (laughs) Since you brought it up? I'm just thinking that the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of Christ in us, is the work of the Holy Spirit through our lives, is what keeps sin at bay uh, at some point in the world. And at some point in time, and you made reference to it, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, when the Holy 
What's going to happen? Chaos. Total chaos. Total chaos. We have no idea. We're like, uh, we're like Elijah and his servant. He's freaking out. He doesn't see. They're surrounded by all this great army. And, and, and Elijah says, open his eyes that he may... We have no idea the spiritual warfare going on in the heavenly place right now. We have no idea how he hedges us and protects us. You say you've been that happy. I mean, when sometimes he, he allows us to see this evil coming on and how he suppresses it. We have in our family experienced the, the demonic forces of hell against our family. And we have seen him win over that demonic oppression. Well, you know, that's why Isaiah 4 and 10 says, I will, Do not be dismayed or scared because I will never leave you or forsake you. Right. When you go through the water, you're not going to drown. When you go through the fire, you're not going to be burned. But you're going to go through the water and you're going to go through the fire. Good. We always go trails. That's okay. No problemo. Uh, so we understand we've got to be clothed. Remember the parable, the wedding garment parable in Matthew 22? That's what he's talking about. It, it, this is a difficult parable, but all he's talking about is is uh, to enter into glory, into eternity, you have to be clothed with the wedding garments, and the wedding garments are the righteousness of Christ. So that's Matthew 22, 11 and 12. Uh, that's one of my verses under the, the Spirit convicts us of our need for a righteous one uh, to clothe us with because our righteousness in 22... 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who didn't have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, did you come in here without a wedding garment? And then he was kicked in outer darkness because he couldn't enter in the presence of God without the righteousness of God. That's why our bodies can't enter glory because our bodies are, are, are wicked and they have to be transformed and glorified before we can be in his presence. Does so everybody understand that? And you can look at those verses on your own. And uh, I had every intention of finishing this. But, uh, but uh, I do want to finish this one. The Holy Spirit's work to the wor- world. The third one is to convince the world of judgment. And this specifically means that, it's going to con- that the Spirit convicts the world, that the world is under Satan's control, that the world's system is blind, faulty, and evil. The Spirit convicts men of the truth about Satan. And, and what he does is he, he takes the Word and he energizes our minds that we understand the world. And so this great struggle we're in, we know as God's people that Satan is defeated. When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning, he meant it. And when he said to Telestai on the cross, it's finished, it's done. Uh, there's not a squirt. It's just as Terry always says, only thing that remains is the cleanup. The victory is won, Satan has been defeated, and his accusations against us have been forever crushed, right? So one of the works of the spirit world is showing that God is, is won over Satan. And this father of lies, this accuser of the brethren, is defeated. And, and, and he shows us who the victor is. And uh, so uh, uh, remember what it says... Uh, 
what he does is, uh, I love what he says to uh, to the uh, the leaders in eight, uh, and what a bold statement! Look what he says in eight forty four: "You of your father, the devil, and the desires of your devil." Of the father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and he's the father of it. So the Holy Spirit convinces men of the reality of who Satan is. He convinces men of the reality of lifestyle in the, in the, in the, in the hopelessness of a life. Uh, one of the, the great things in Romans uh, is he, he, the, the list of sins, and one of those sins, of course, is, is homosexuality and, and all that. But, and one of the things that strikes out about that to me is, is look at Romans 1. Romans 1, I'm just going to look at 1, 24. This is the work of the Spirit as He convicts men of the judgment. Look what He says, he, that God gave them with uncleanliness, in their lust and their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie. And the lie is one of the works of the Spirit. He convicts men that Satan's ploys are all lies. And they're deceptions. And they all look good. They're Budweiser commercials that talk about all the excitement, but they don't show you on the toilet seat the next day. Let me be blunt, okay? Satan sows all the goody-goody stuff, right? But the Holy Spirit convicts and says, look at that. And that's the Holy Spirit does that. Because that sounds good, looks good, appeals to your eyeballs, it appeals to your nature, it appeals to everything. But the Holy Spirit says, look at the consequences of that and the emptiness of that. And so uh, I'll, uh, I'll leave you with that colorful anecdote to lead. But... Uh, and we'll finish this next week, and then we'll finish 16, and then uh, uh, I've got to do John 17, and uh, I don't know uh, if I want to do it while everybody's going to be gone for Christmas, and uh, I have one thing I want to do, maybe, but I'll, if I do it, you'll be surprised. But next week we'll finish this, and then uh, we'll count down to Christmas and what's going to happen. Any comments or questions?